0: Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Be with us now, O God. By your spirit, would you open our eyes, our hearts, to behold wondrous things? Help me, your servant, O God, would you be honored and glorified in everything? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I weren't once heard a story about a couple that were leaving to go on vacation. They were standing in line, waiting to check their bags at the airline counter. And it's at this point, the husband turns to the wife and he says, I really wish we had brought the piano. She's puzzled and she looks at him and responds, why? Why on earth do you wish we brought the piano? I mean, look, we've got 16 bags here already. And the husband says, yes, dear, I know, but our airline tickets are on the piano. I get that couple. I really identify with that. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating when the most important thing gets lost in the shuffle of all the other things. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're so busy balancing so many different things that you find yourself neglecting or not being able to focus on the most important thing? I mean, I think we all do, even if we're not willing to raise our hands this morning. We can be so busy, so busy taking care of our house that we forget that we're building a home. We can be so busy living with our spouses that we forget we are cultivating a marriage. We can be so busy curating opportunities and experiences for our children that we forget to spend actual meaningful time with them, We can be so busy working and working and working that we forget that we are to do our work heartily as unto the Lord. We can be so busy attending church and church activities that we forget that we are worshiping Christ. Can you relate to any of that? Can you relate to any of that? This morning, as we continue our series through the gospel according to Luke, we do so by joining Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha and their home was in Bethany. While this account may seem out of place chronologically for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing, and we know that because Bethany is really close to Jerusalem, in fact, closer than Jesus appears to be at this point if we were to trace his steps. It appears that Luke, though, has placed the account here, as he often does, as part of his overall focus. You'll remember that last week, I made a case that the lawyer who stood up to put Jesus to the test, the the one that sought to justify himself there in the prior passage we looked at, is an example of the wise and the understanding ones of the world, the ones that Jesus referenced all the way back in 1021, the ones that Jesus says God had chosen to hide the truth pertaining to eternal life. These are also the ones who think that their good works will gain them access to eternal life. In this passage, in today's passage, we get a glimpse of the other types of people that Jesus speaks of back in 1021. He calls them children. He thanks God for revealing these things to children. What are those things? Truths pertaining to eternal life. These children are the ones, as we'll see this morning, the ones who choose the good portion. They choose the one thing that is necessary, the one thing Jesus says will never be taken away. So even though the passage before us is is brief, it is concise and it answers, I believe, a very pressing question to which all of us need to be able to give an appropriate response. So amid all of our striving, here's the question. What is the most important thing for us? In the middle of all of our striving, all of our doing, what is this one thing that is necessary that Jesus speaks of in verse 42? I believe the text answers that question for us very Clearly, And it does so by revealing two roads that lead us to the answer, two roads that lead us to the answer. The first road that we must take is to welcome the presence of Jesus. If you're taking notes, and I know that many of you like to do so, this will be the first of two points this morning. Welcome his presence. Welcome his presence. In verse 38, we find that Jesus and his disciples are still on their way to Jerusalem when they enter the village of Bethany. And they come to the home of his friends, Mary and Martha. And you may remember their brother, Lazarus. It seems that Jesus loves being in this home. For we find him there as well over in John chapter 11 when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we see him there once again in John chapter 12, a week before his final Passover. Jesus was loved in this home. Jesus was recognized as Lord in this home. Jesus was welcomed in this home. And so Jesus and his disciples arrive in this place where he's welcome to enjoy the hospitality of this dear family, you can assume that there are at least 13 men traveling at this point, right? You can make that assumption. It's Jesus and his disciples. So he's got his 12 with him. You may remember that earlier in chapter 10, Jesus had sent out the 72 and also welcomed them back. And although this isn't necessarily chronological, it's perhaps some of them were also in his traveling group. And don't forget Luke chapter eight, verses one through three that we covered last fall. Remember, there were some women whom Jesus had healed that were also accompanying him and his disciples. Those who were with him providing for the disciples out of their means. Maybe they were with this group too. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that a bunch of people likely showed up. As few as 13, 13. And possibly many more had just shown up at the door. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? How would you react if that many people just showed up to be fed and likely to be lodged as well? How would you react to that? Some of you, who I know well, were like, I'm ready. <laughs> and some of you are maybe thinking, I wouldn't even answer the doorbell. Well, we know very well how Martha reacts, don't we? Verse 38 says that she welcomed them into her home. The word used in the original language here for welcome means to accept and to receive the presence of a person with friendliness. It's not just tolerating someone being there. And none of us have ever done that when guests show up, right? We can handle this. This is, I'm so glad that you're here. You're accepted and you're received with all of me. And it appears from this brief account that Martha also welcomes them by getting to work. She welcomes them with her service. I mean, all these people have to be fed, right? Think about how much goes into a meal for people. So she gets straight to work. I like how Joanna Weaver describes Martha in her book. She does well, and she says this. She says, what a woman. She opens her home to this hungry group. What a hostess. And she goes on to say, she is the original Martha Stewart. That may or may not mean anything to you. The New Testament, Proverbs 31 woman, she says, and Israel's answer to Betty Crocker. She goes on to say, at least that's the way I imagine her. She's the queen of the kitchen and the rest of the house as well. Martha is indeed, and she's presented this way in the text, a shining example of godly hospitality. She had been given the gift of hospitality and she wanted to use that gift to welcome Jesus into her home in the best way that she could. But what about Mary? How does Mary welcome Jesus? Verse 39 says that she, quote, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, perhaps Mary is a different personality from her sister Martha altogether. We can't be completely sure, but her posture towards Jesus at this moment is definitely different. But don't miss this point. She is a servant, though. She is a servant. She likely begins at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she was probably there to clean them. She likely begins at his feet because it's very possible that she could have been the one who was asked to clean the feet of those who come in. It was very rude in that day to come into someone's home and for them not to wash your feet. Very rude. So whatever the circumstances of her posture, we can see that she remains there. Something perhaps captivated her, right? She remains there. She remains at his feet. She's intent on soaking up all that he has to say. And this is where the scene gets truly remarkable. To sit at a rabbi's feet while he was teaching, meant that you were his disciple. This was the typical way. The rabbi would be seated maybe a little bit higher on a chair. Everyone would sit at his feet in front of him and receive his teaching. When when he allowed you to sit there, he's, he's basically saying, I'm pleased to teach you. And in this day, women were allowed to study the Torah. That wasn't forbidden. It was good for all the people of Israel to study the Torah. I'm saying the law of God right? But women did not sit at the feet of rabbis. They just didn't. But this was no ordinary rabbi, was it? This was Jesus, the true teacher, the true rabbi, the savior of Israel. And notice he doesn't rebuke Mary for her posture. He accepts her. He welcomes her just as she has welcomed him. Warren Weir'sby, a commentator, I think he helpfully notes for us that every time we see Mary of Bethany in the gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus. Here she sits at his feet and listens to his word. In John 11, she's the one that falls at his feet and shares her woe for brother's death. And in John 12, she's the one who worships at his feet, takes that expensive bottle of perfume and pours them out and anoints him with them. So where Martha, her sister, welcomes Jesus by serving, Mary welcomes Jesus with her attention. So we see from the text then that both of these women invite or welcome Jesus into their home. Both of them do it in wonderful ways with acts of service and acts of attention. They set an example for what it means for all of us to welcome the presence of Jesus. They've made it a priority to welcome Jesus into their lives, no matter what else was going on. And we don't know what was going on that day. The way it's presented to us is that they are ready and they are willing and they are able to welcome Jesus, to enjoy his presence, to minister to his needs. And this is where we can begin to understand what the most important thing for us amid all our striving is. We can choose the road before us that welcomes Jesus's presence. In all of our busyness, we must make room for Jesus. When we really welcome his presence into our lives, when we really do that, we acknowledge that, you know, first of all, he's the foundation of our lives we demonstrate that the quality and the fruitfulness of our lives is proportional to how we abide in him. And some of you might be thinking, well, Jesus hasn't knocked on my door. How do I welcome him? He's given you his spirit and he's given you his word. He's given you one another as the church. He's given you life, breath and being. And so we turn to him, we turn to his word, we worship him with others, we pray to him, we welcome him like children awaiting their parents to come home, arms outstretched. Jesus, I welcome you. Whether we're prone to be Martha's or prone to be Mary's, the question for each and every one of us is how are we doing that? How are we seriously making room to welcome Jesus into our lives? So amid all of our striving, what's the most important thing for us? That's the question in hand today. Well, the first road that leads us to the answer is to welcome his presence, but that's only half of what's necessary. For as we'll see in a minute, once we welcome his presence, there's something else to do. We must watch our hearts. And this is the second road that we must choose. And it's our second point for those of you taking notes. We must watch our hearts. Watch our hearts. The story of Mary and Martha takes a turn for the worse in verse 40. Many of you know this story well, and you know that we're told that Martha was, quote, distracted with much serving. Now, the word used here for distracted is important. It means to be pulled away, or to be dragged away. I can picture her right now in my mind, maybe because I identify with her a lot, but I can picture her in my mind, right? She's frantically just moving about the kitchen, trying her hardest to prepare bread over here, right? She's trying really hard. And over to this side, she's got meat that she's trying to prepare. She's longing to give her very best to Jesus and to his friends. She's literally being pulled or dragged away in a dozen different directions. So perhaps it's then that she starts to ask herself this question. Where's Mary? Where's my sister? Why isn't she helping me? One commentator put it this way, apparently the pot on the fire was not the only thing boiling that day. Martha's fuming. You can picture her kneading the dough and imagining it was her sister, maybe. I'm glad someone's having fun. Perhaps she's thinking things like she thinks she's a guest. Look at her. We could have gotten this done in half the time if she was here helping me. Hmm. And then another fist goes in the dough, right? And maybe, maybe, why is... He letting her sit there like that. Doesn't he know? And so she goes storming out of the kitchen. And according to the text, she stomps right up to Jesus and interrupts him. And this is what she says. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Wow. Those words are sharp. And if you really dissect those words, they actually cut two people like a knife. I mean, first, her words cut Jesus. She goes and says, don't you care? That's quite an indictment, isn't it? Hey, shepherd of Israel, don't you care? And second, I mean, obviously her words are gonna cut her sister. My sister has left me to serve alone. It's telling her, because she doesn't even mention her by name, right? My sister, I only have two kids and it's amazing how many times, my sister, my brother. Which one? You can tell me who it is. My sister. Martha's lost it. She's out of her mind. She's accusing Jesus of not caring and she's accusing Mary of laziness. But notice the demanding spirit that then comes out of her. Tell her then to help me. You couldn't have just asked. Tell her now. I invite you to do this often. You know, put yourself in the sandals of the people who were there. Of course, their sandals are off there inside, but put yourself in their feet. Awkward, right? One of those moments like, ooh. <laughs> Mary's probably flushed with embarrassment. But are we really surprised by Martha's outburst? Are we really surprised? I mean, after all, hasn't she just fallen prey to a familiar trap? I think one that most of us know all too well. It goes like this first. She gets distracted, she gets pulled away from Jesus. And then once distracted, she loses some objectivity and begins to focus on herself, right? She becomes completely subjective. She turns completely inward. And then in deep frustration, as the kettle brews and brews and brews, she begins to burn with resentment. I know this cycle. I know this cycle, don't laugh, Megan. I know this cycle. To you. We get distracted from Jesus as we're being pulled in a thousand different directions. So we start to feel discouraged and eventually we start to feel entitled. Then as we wallow in feelings of loneliness and frustration and resentment, we begin to lose joy. And then we begin to feel like Martha did in the kitchen that day in Bethany And eventually we explode like bombs. But did you notice that Jesus doesn't take sides here? Jesus doesn't take sides. Some some have used this text to criticize and unfairly put down Martha for even being in the kitchen, performing her service of hospitality. They naively, maybe you've heard this before, they say things like, we must be a worshiper like Mary and not a worker like Martha. Martha. You heard that before? That misses the point. It completely misses the point of what's going on here. I remember a good friend always saying, listen, we need Marthas in our life. We need Marthas. If there were no Marthas, nothing would ever get done. I mean, it's clear that Jesus loves both of them. It's also clear that Jesus wants us to imitate both to some degree. Because you see, what's going on here has nothing to do with Martha being in the kitchen. It has to do with Martha's heart in the kitchen. It's a matter of the heart. Her attitude has become like milk that was left out on the counter to spoil. In her effort to welcome Jesus with her service, she's completely lost all connection with him. And as she does her work for Jesus, her work becomes more important than Jesus herself. You see, the issue here is about priorities. And the truth is, is that serving Jesus means nothing if it's not done in love. If it's not done in loving service to him. I think our lives are a lot like this. We're so busy with so many things And we try to do those things for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom. Whether it's our our work, our vocation, it's our relationships, it's, hey kids, it's our schoolwork, right? It could be our ministry if we're involved in ministry or serving the church in different ways, whatever it is. We, We do these things for the glory of God. We want to. But when we allow ourselves to get distracted and to be pulled in so many different directions, we often lose our focus on the primary priority. We start to lose our focus on Jesus. Do you ever wonder why animal trainers carry a stool when they go into a cage of lions? I I do. So I looked it up one time. You've seen this, right? The trainer goes over to the lions. He's got his whip, pistol. They always have this four-legged stool. You ever wonder why? You talk to one, they'll tell you that stool is actually the most important thing they bring in there. You see, the, the trainer will hold the stool by the seat and they will thrust the four legs all at one time at the lion. And what happens is that the lion will try to focus on all four of those legs at once, which it can't do. And so it becomes overwhelmed. And you can go online and see videos of this. It becomes overwhelmed with a kind of paralysis and it leaves it just weak and disabled all because it's overwhelmed. Its focus is fragmented. So watch your heart, friends. Watch your heart. Be careful that your focus, your attention doesn't become fragmented, that you turn away from the Lord, even as you're seeking to serve him. That's what happened to Martha. But as I thought a lot about it, it could have happened to Mary as well. Right? Think about this for a minute. This is something that could have happened she could have just as easily dragged Jesus into the kitchen and said to him, don't you care about me, Lord? Tell my sister to stop outdoing me. Tell my sister to stop trying to impress everybody all the time with her busyness. Tell her to slow down and sit. She's making me look bad. Couldn't he have been subject to that too? You see, all it takes is being pulled away from our primary focus. So be careful. Be careful about the little things, the little things that seek to pull you away from your devotion to Jesus. For Jesus, more important than the type of service, whether it's welcoming him at his feet or welcoming him with our gifts, what's most important is the heart the heart behind the service. Another commentator I'll quote here says it so well. God is more pleased with the quiet attention of a sincere servant than the noisy service of a sour one. So we now see that there are two roads that lead us to the quote one thing that is necessary. Welcoming the presence of Jesus and watching our hearts as we serve him. So now we come to verse 42. You can look there again with me. Jesus says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. But what exactly has Mary chosen? Right? Isn't that the big question? What is the one thing that is necessary? Or as I asked it at the beginning, amid all of our striving, what's the most important thing for us to do? Maybe some of us even find ourselves asking the question the way the lawyer did last week when we looked at verse 25. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that Mary has chosen? I think it's clear. Mary has chosen to fill her soul with Jesus and his word. She has chosen to fill her soul with Jesus and his word. She's chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus like a child and to hear the word of God. Unlike her sister, Martha, who was doing something good, she hasn't taken that something good and turned it into just another thing to check off of her list of things to do. Instead, while Martha was busy being distracted with preparing a feast for Jesus, Mary was feasting on Jesus and his word. She knew that in light of everything else, the most important thing was to make room for her heart and her mind to be fixed upon the things that he was so eager to reveal to her She knew that Jesus wasn't asking for something more. He was asking less. He was asking for less so that he can give us more of himself. Do you see? Do you see? She could have served in the kitchen and served the feast and then joined them at his feet. But instead, she let all those things distract her and to pull her away from even focusing on him at all. Mary chose to fill her soul with Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you this as we come to a close. With what have you chosen to fill your soul? What have you chose? Is it Jesus and his word? I mean, if we choose to fill our souls. I'm not talking about filling our time. If we choose to fill our souls with anything, first and foremost, but Jesus. If we allow the cares and the works and the distractions and the things of this world, if we allow those things to fill our souls before they're filled with Jesus, we'll find ourselves just like the lawyer from last week. Do you remember? He was veering off the road. Because he was seeking to justify himself. But if we welcome the presence of Jesus, and if we watch carefully over our hearts as we seek to live for him, this I know, because it's a battle that I fight each and every day, and I know you do as well. If we welcome his presence and watch carefully over our hearts, we will surely arrive safely at his feet. And when we do, our souls will indeed be filled as we feast on him and feast on his word. May he help us to do that, amen? Amen.